This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Good morning, Equalizer Extra subscribers. It's time for another episode of the Equalizer Podcast. Episode 46 of the Equalizer podcast as we hit the middle of February. My name's Dan Lawletta. I'm with Chelsea Bush and John D. Halloran. And Chelsea and John are both ones who, in very different forms, stayed up to watch the Australian League semifinals overnight. They call the playoffs over there the grand finals, and the grand finale is the last match, and it'll be Sydney FC against Perth Glory. And I managed to see the stoppage time of the Perth and uh, Melbourne victory match and then extra time and didn't see any of the second one. But NWSL players making a a big impact, including Sam Kerr. So I would start there because that's the match that I saw. But also when you saw that extra time, uh, stoppage time, rather equalizer, all it did was set the page for Sam Kerr to really and, you know, another first, first hat-trick ever in the Australian League playoffs. So uh, run with that, guys. You know, it's funny because at the end of the first half, I was sitting there and I'm like, you know, I don't feel like Sam Kerr is really having a good game. Like, I felt like her touch was off. Her decision-making wasn't quite there. Um, and I, I really, at that point, I thought that victory controlled the majority of the match. They were marking her very, very closely, uh, winning all the aerial balls. And I really thought that the victory was going to have it. And I, I thought that for a big portion of the second half, I mean, the majority of regular time, I thought Melbourne was the better team, but they just, they, I don't know if it was because they played that, that earlier game in the week or what, but uh, they just didn't have the legs. They, they couldn't, you, you saw Naren kept going down with cramps. Um, Katie Naughton did an excellent job at marking Natasha Dowie out, even if it was probably, probably should have been called for a little bit more fouls than it was. Um, and I just think at the end of it, they didn't have it in them and extra time. It was, it was Sam Kershaw, right? Yeah. You know, what I think was uh, interesting about that is that I thought in the first half, you could see that Kerr wanted to make an impact. You could see her effort level was there, but you're right. Like she just, it just wasn't coming off. Um, and I think some of that too was her, she was being really unselfish. I thought in the first half of trying to set her teammates up. And I think, more when she just took the initiative um, herself is when is when she made the difference. And I also think she kind of wore kind of alluding to what you said, too. She wore Sam Johnson down. You know, they were they were knocking Kerr down a lot in the first half. Um, in fact, Kerr actually got knocked down twice on the same play in the box and neither of them was called. And I think once once she kind of forced the, the official 
to warn Sam Johnson and then Carter, you could kind of see that, uh, that those opportunities were going to open up one way or another. And I think that's what, uh, what happened. I was taken by the fact that when she scored the goal to make it three, two, the little chip over the keeper is that the commentators were very hung up on the fact that the keeper came out and didn't have to, and that some of the defending was off all fair points, but I don't think they realized or, stated enough what an amazing finish that was. I don't think there are 10 players in the world that make that finish, whether the keeper's out of position or not. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think the keeper was absolutely out of position. Like, I don't know what she was thinking on that, but I, I think that's absolutely fair. I'm not sure, even if she'd been in position, that, that Kerr placed that really well, and I'm not sure anyone could have gotten to it. Kerr's first goal was was subtly great as well. It was, you know, it, it just looked like a simple finish, but when you watch it, when you watch the replay, the service actually got deflected on the way in. So she had to readjust her body uh, to catch that off of a hop. And the, like, and the yeah, fact, in midair. Right. And the fact that one, she got a foot on it was pretty impressive. And then two was able to put enough power and placement on it uh, to get past the keeper was was impressive. But um, to kind of go to your, your guys point about the goalkeeper, too, um, Melbourne had to change their goalkeeper at the half. Um, and that keeper had made a really Dumont had made a really nice save on Rachel Hill in the first half, but she came off with a concussion. So that was Melbourne's backup goalkeeper there um, from the second half on. Yeah, who uh, hasn't played played all season. But can we talk about that? I, I cannot believe that she took that knock. I mean, what was it? Maybe halfway through the first half. And I think it was on lose. Hill's shot, wasn't it? I think so. I mean, it was fairly early. It wasn't like it was right before the half. Like it was significant time left to play. And they came out and they looked at her and then they they didn't do a concussion protocol and did it at halftime. And that's why she had to come out. I cannot believe that they let her keep playing with the concussion and didn't do it at the time. And I think that was the 14th minute of play when that happened. So it was like, as you said, it was early in the half. And Perth didn't use a sub to what, the 114th minute? Something like that? They were clean uh, throughout the whole match? I remember. But but speaking of goalies, um, I don't mean to keep pulling this back into the parts of the match that I saw. Was Aaron McLeod watching this match? Because Eliza Campbell got away with murder on stalling tactics at the end of that second extra time period. <laughs> the one scenario where she rolled the ball like halfway down yeah. the, you know, the the top of the six there for the goal kick. That was got cards got to come out there. Which was funny too because. Sam Kerr is very quickly learning the art of getting in the referee's ear. Mm -hmm. She was complaining the whole second half about time wasting until it was their turn, which yeah, made me laugh. Course. I mean, that, that is what it is, but it made me laugh. And I assume yeah. uh, I didn't see the first yellow on Sam Johnson, but second yellow, that's a yellow every day of the week. So was the first one. And I don't know about reaching up to grab that red card, though. Good move by the <laughs> ref, kind of getting the hand out of the way there. But that's not a. Good luck for Sam Johnson. Somebody mentioned that there's a precedent for a six-game suspension in the W League for that. Uh, Is there really? Be, which would be half the season if she comes back next winter. Well, I, I was thinking when uh, they were saying that she might not be seen for a while, that could be the difference between going and not going. Because the season's yeah. only 12 games. Yeah. So why would you, yeah, why would you sign there? someone, especially someone who takes an international slot, 
if they miss. I remember, um, I think it was was uh, Lisa Devana who had carried a suspension from the playoffs into the next season, uh, but maybe two years ago, I think. Isn't six a little much though? I mean, she didn't touch anybody. She tried, I guess, but six seems yeah. like I, I wouldn't maybe tack an extra game on. I don't know about six. I'm really yeah, curious I don't now know. as to what somebody did. I'm to get. I'm looking it up. Um. But I mean that that's one thing I, I sometimes I forget about just how physical the W League can get. And I thought both of these games what last night were um very physical. Very very physical. I thought both games had some probably some cards that should have been should have come out um and didn't. Uh this one was was definitely one of them. Well talk to me about the other game because our old friend Sofia Huerta was there with what stood up as the game winner after Brisbane got one late. Yeah, I think this one wasn't as as Brisbane just doesn't have enough uh, quality in front of goal. I think they again like kind of like Melbourne, they controlled parts of the game, not as much, but parts. But they were very, very much lacking, and it was like the the epitome. And, and for for that matter, uh, Sydney w- did too, and until they finally got some goals. But it was very, very end to end. But both sides just could not find that final pass or that final shot, and. Eventually, um, Sydney got a couple, but Brisbane never really could. Uh, Razzo had a few good chances. Nagasato had had um, a glorious breakaway and just shot it right at Bledsoe. Like it just it wasn't going to happen for them. I felt like the entire game. I don't think they ever really had one where I thought that's for sure a goal. After she got she was in on goal one on one with the keeper and uh, sent it straight at her. Um, Sydney was pretty physical too. I remember the the Colaprico challenge on. Uh, oh, <laughs> Yeah, that, I mean, she there was no intent to play the on Ibogogu. Yeah, she knocks the hell out of her, and the ball was nowhere near. Come on, yeah. guys, it's got to be a um, card. And then with the end to end stuff in the 65th minute, there were um, Sydney fired the ball on frame three or four times in a row. Brisbane cleared all of them, and 10 seconds later, were on a breakaway of their own. Uh, Yuki Nagasato going the other way. Um, and that ended up getting saved. And then four minutes after that is when. Sydney got their second. So it was, there was, there were definitely some exciting moments in that one too. Now, let me ask you guys this. And I do this a lot for tennis. I'm a big tennis fan. So Australian open time, I stay up late a lot, watch tennis matches overnight. Worth it or not worth it for this particular match to be up. I think for you guys who you're both central time, it was two fifteen kickoff. Yeah. It was Actually, later. I think later it was like two thirty. Yeah. Um, I, I thought it was worth it. I thought it was, a, like I said, it was end-to-end. It was an exciting game. Yeah, I thought about 3.30, my, my brain finally woke up, so. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was tired. I was I was nodding off in the second half, but that's just because I was so tired. You definitely was... go through ebbs and flows of energy yeah. <laughs> at those weird times of night. And uh, I'm just looking around. I don't think we have a time yet for the for the grand final. I haven't even looked yet. Do we have a prediction? I, I'm unaware. Or a tactical um, analysis? I, I think this is going to be like a complete goal fest because these two teams are the top in the league for goals scored, but they're also in the top four for the most goals conceded in the regular season. Um, and and I, I think no one's going to keep a clean sheet. Um, I, if I have to go on record, I'm leaning Sydney. I think, you know, you can't count out Sam Kerr. Um, I think Sydney is definitely going to to run the midfield. Perth Bay plays more of a direct ball. And I think if they can, you know, Alana Kennedy is very good in the air. I think if they can cut out some of those balls um, and 
Caitlin Ford isn't about as good a form as, as Sam Kerr, so I think it's going to be a goal fest, but I'm, I'm leaning Sydney, just barely. I would go Perth. Um, I just think that Sydney's going to really struggle, not only dealing with Kerr, but Rachel Hill um, has had a strong season. I thought she was, I thought in her 1v1 opportunities um, last night, she was exceptionally strong. I don't think she finished particularly well, um, you know, obviously outside of her goal, but she, I think, had four or maybe five chances on the night um, and some pretty good ones, too. But I think her pace and, and Kerr's all-around ability are really going to give um, Sydney some trouble. And um, the other player I came away impressed with was um, Princess Abibi, I thought, had a really nice game um, for Sydney. Yeah, just talk about some pace. She's got some legs on her. Um, and, and you consider the fact I think she's like 16 or 17. Plays, plays very maturely, I think, for that age. And she's the one who drew the red card, too. Um, yep. I can't remember red. who she beat, but, uh, yeah, um, they took her down. And can we talk about Kerr for a minute? Because we talk about her a lot. Have talked about her yet? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, I mean, this is a big year for her. She has been close, but not quite, and maybe not played so well in, in grand finales in Australia. She's got her home country that is expected, if not to win the World Cup, to go deeper than they've ever gone. And, you know, the Red Stars have been in the playoffs four years in a row, and they've lost in the semis four years in a row, and they are good enough to go farther than that. So big year all around for her, going from one thing to the other thing to the other thing, and so far so good with her performance in the W League, which I think is a good sign going forward into what will be a pressure-packed World Cup for her. You know, it's kind of funny that you mentioned that because I, I've – Watch her last night. I mean, she was getting just fouled all over the place. And we talked about how closely she was getting marked. I'm thinking to myself, that is something that, and then along, it's the idea of the pressure, right? Like something she's going to have to expect from here on out. She's going to, to be the one who's expected to be the difference maker every single time. She's going to be the one who's probably the most fouled every single time. And for me, for Sam Kerr to kind of reach that next echelon, I don't know what that is because she's very, very good already, but whatever that next level is, I think this d- dealing with pressure and attention and things like that is how she's going to reach that. Like, I think that's going to play a very big part in it. I think there's two things that make Kerr really special. I think one is that she can score in a variety of different ways. You know, she's not just a player that can beat you on a breakaway, um, but, you know, she's, she's a physical number nine, too, so she can get into the box and get on the end of, of service. She can head the ball well um, and hit you on set pieces. But the other thing is that she doesn't need a lot of help. Um, There are plenty of examples where she, you know, other than getting, you know, a ball in behind, um, you know, or a long, a long lofted service from, from the flank, she's putting those chances away and it's not like she needs to be set up. So, you know, if we're talking about Australia, they can sit back a little bit more and look to hit on the counter because she can do so much on her own. I think, you know, if they can get over, whatever transition they're going to have with a new coach. Um, and then kind of going along with what Chelsea said there about the pressure. I think, I think Kerr still in situations in the attacking third uh, will look to pass when maybe she should just go it alone. And um, I think kind of realizing that, uh, that they, whether that's, you know, Perth or Chicago or Australia uh, just need her 
to put the team on her back and, and take them forward um, because she has that ability. I've got more to say on Sam Kerr, but uh, we ran longer than I thought on W League uh, playoff recap. So let's uh, spill the Sam Kerr conversation over into segment two with Chelsea and John. I'm Dan. This is episode 46 of the Equalizer podcast. Segment two, episode 46, Equalizer podcast. Dan, Chelsea, and John talking women's soccer with you for an hour or so, maybe a little less. We exited segment one talking about Sam Kerr, and I'll jump right in with uh, a couple of follow-ups. But the first one I have is the uh, the unselfish nature that you know, sometimes she plays with. I thought that early on in Chicago last yep. season, and John, you can tell me if you watch more Chicago than any of us, that she was trying to prove that she didn't have to do it by herself yes. and trying to get more teammates involved. Second half of the season, she kind of started taking matters into her own hands again. It's a hundred percent correct. Um, you know, it was interesting too, because at the beginning of the, of the year, even in the preseason and the players were talking about how, when she came in, you know, she was very much about trying to, you know, learn how things were done and, and be a team player. And, and you're right. I think it took a few games or maybe even half the season before it was kind of like, no, you know, you're the, you're the player. Now you need to be the one that, that takes the team and, and takes us forward. So um, I a hundred percent agree with that analysis. Right, at sky blue the year before. And I, you know, I was not as on board with her being the MVP that year, even though she was spectacular. But so much of what she did was born out of necessity. The team would be down to nothing, and she would just take over the game. And there was nobody else for her to get involved. I didn't think she made other players on that team better, which was maybe not a fault of her own. Just that it was just the way they had to play. And Chicago had a little bit more leeway to play more of a team build-up game. But at the end of the day, she still does need to be that focal point because, like you said, she can score in so many different ways. And Chicago changed their setup. Uh, you know, uh, yep. maybe a third of the way into the season, I think, to just make her the focal point as well. And the other thing is, is that she is really underrated in the air. If you go back to that four-goal game against Seattle when she hit mm -hmm. the crossbar with the PK and then they recycled, that fourth goal was a cross into the box, and she emerged from a group of, like, five or six players who were all taller than her, and I've stood next to her a number of times. She's not tall, and she's, she's tiny. And... Even the goal when um, when Melbourne equalized last night, she defended that original set piece yeah. in the air, and then it didn't go in the right direction, and they wound up scoring anyway. But I was really impressed that she was the one that got in there with her head. She had one against um, Sydney earlier in the season where she went up over Sofia Huerta um, to put one in on the back post, and that was a really incredible goal uh, that she scored this season in the W League. All right. Sam Kerr, we talk about her all the time. I'm sure there'll be much more Sam Kerr talk. We talk about Sky Blue a lot, too. But yesterday was the 30th day from the NWSL draft when their general manager, Tony Novo, said, I promise you guys in 30 days we're going to have some good news to announce. 30 days came and went. 
The only good news Sky Blue has had is that Paige Monahan signed. She was their second round pick, which was the tenth overall pick. And I always laugh because the you know first round pick has this aura to it. Well, Paige Monahan at number ten would have been in the first round before the Breakers folded when there were ten picks in the first round. But as we know, Haley Mace isn't going. Julia Ashley isn't going. Um, I mean, there's not a lot to say. It's just a 30-day window pass, but it's another public relations blunder. And if there's not something big coming, then they're not going to be able to bury this one, just like they haven't been able to bury most of the other stuff. Yeah, I think I mean, uh, maybe the fact that he said 30 days or so gives him, you know. Did he say or so? I didn't. I, 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 I think he back. said or so. Yeah, it's right, not. Well, so he gets another day. It doesn't make it that much better. Um, and, I, you know, it's it's so odd because Novo has said that they've made improvements. Duffy has said that they made improvements. Uh, my my piece with Arnim Whistler, the, the Red Stars owner this week, said that they've made improvements. He said they've made improvements. So I don't know why they wouldn't publicize those because, again, at a minimum, they have a public perception problem. And to not be out in front of that and, and trying to explain to people what they've done to change their situation is just not a, a smart move. So I don't, I don't know what the thinking is. Yeah, but I mean, are, are either one of you surprised, to be honest? A little bit. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess, like, I'm not, like you said, they have a perception problem, but they, they have been absolutely horrible at managing their own public perception this entire saga not once not once have they done anything to 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 change that so I, whether they've done anything or not they've never shown any interest in the past and in, in publicizing that um so i don't this just does not surprise me at all but you know i'm i'm not as surprised as i want to be but i am i'm a little bit surprised but i wish i were more surprised but you know my understanding is that they think this is a small group of people that are, you know, behind this cloud nine ticket boycott thing and that all they need is to get back in to the season and not, you know, win more games early and, and things will kind of smooth themselves over. But when the number two and number six pick in the draft don't come to your team and the number two pick openly wants to be in the league to try and maybe hang on to a slice of hope of making the World Cup and the number six pick grew up within an hour of where you play your home games. That means that the public perception problem has spilled over much farther than just the perception of the quote-unquote public. This, this is now a big deal where major players don't want to play for you who are already on your team. It's not like a player just didn't want to be traded to Sky Blue. This is These are players that were drafted there that should be running to say, you know what, this team wasn't very good. I can help make them better, and I'm going to play with Carly Lloyd and learn the bet. You know, they're going to learn from someone who's got as good a work ethic as anybody in the league, and they don't want to go. That's a bigger problem than just public perception. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I heard that exact same story that uh, that there's a a thought inside of Sky Blue that this is a dozen people or so that are upset on Twitter um, and like a lack of recognition that this is a real issue, but. If Ashley doesn't want to play there and if Mace doesn't want to play there, how are you going to win on the field and improve things if you can't get players to come and play for you? You know, they lost Johnson. Um, I think they lost, was it uh, Stott and Frisbee in the offseason as well? Yep. They, yeah. 
you you have to field a competitive team if your strategy is to fix the problem by winning then you need players that can help you get to that point and right now quality players don't want to be there which is of course going to just exacerbate the problem if you go halfway into the season without winning a game and i look at the league in at large and i don't see that there's a lot of change in where the teams finished last season and where they are now. I still think Washington and Orlando have way more talent in their record, but no, no team to me has made the sort of moves that'll take them really far up the table or drop them really far down the table. Am I missing anybody? Well, that's because most of the teams haven't made any moves at all. I didn't want to come out and say that. I will say it, way. Dad. I will say it. <laughs> but that, that is true. But the point is, I don't think Sky Blue is going to be very good on the field, regardless forgot, of what their situation is. We forgot Shea Groom, too. That's another one. Yeah, at least they got something back for her in Kawasumi. But I would argue that even if Kawasumi might be better right now, you're talking about trading a really good domestic player for an older international player. So I think the likelihood is that Groom pays dividends for C, uh, for the rain longer than Kawasumi does for Sky Blue. Yeah. And she's not like, you know, it's not like Kawasumi's putting you over the top. That said, I thought Shea Groom was a shell of herself last season, and I think she's going to have a big year playing back with Blacko Andonovsky. I think it's going to be interesting to see what the teams do in the uh, the World Cup break, too. You know, it, it'll be interesting to kind of power rank the teams, how they will look in June or even May, I suppose, um, because those teams are going to look a lot different without their internationals. Yeah, for sure. And you saw that North Carolina last year was able to, you know, beat even if it was a preseason version of the two big powerhouses from France. And I think that's partly because they were prepared for that all along. So I'll be interested to see not only how they look in terms of personnel, but which teams are prepared, which teams have their systems, which teams have those players fit. And ready to go. And, you know, if Sky Blue can't fill out a roster for the regular season, then, you know, maybe players will, who are from the area will just hang around. But who's going to hang around there if their training facilities aren't up to par to not even be on the 2024-woman on the 20, roster? Or 22, I think, is the max. So it doesn't look a good scene. We've also got Australia now is two weeks or so into their window where they said, they were going to hire a head coach. Um, any sense from you guys from watching the full broadcast on what I think was Fox Sports in Australia? If that's a was that a topic that was brought up on the broadcast? I don't recall hearing it. Yeah, I don't remember them mentioning it at all either. Uh, and you know, I haven't heard any buzz. But again, it's Australia, so I, you know, maybe there there are some out there. But they've got a they've got a big tournament coming up. We've got she believes, and they're going to play. I forget what it's called, but they're hosting New Zealand and I think Cup South of Korea. Nations. Yeah, and South Korea and somebody else in their in their tournament, but all World Cup teams, you know, you kind of want to have a coach in there to start talking to players and and get a system down because like we said in the part about Sam Kerr, you know, they're expected to go deep. Kind of have to have some leadership in order for that to be a possibility. Yeah, we're 18 days out from that first game and the other uh, country is Argentina. And it's not like they have a staff, right? Most of the staff is also gone. So it's, they don't, you know, do they have an acting coach, a caretaker coach or whatever, or are they just kind of waiting on the Federation to say what's going on? I haven't heard of any 
any acting coach. Um, I just keep seeing, you know, this this assistant, this staff member's left. I don't remember what has happened with, with Gary Van Eggman, who would be probably the most likely interim coach. Uh, but beyond that, I've not heard anything about a new, even a temporary coach. You'd have to assume they're talking to somebody and that maybe they're close. And, you know, I think that that two-week timetable is not as... I think it has a different representation than the 30-day timetable for Sky Blue. I also found it ironic that when somebody asked Tony Novo about the specific improvements that they've already made, he said that they're redoing the pitch at Yursak, which, A, is not a Sky Blue improvement because that's a Rutgers initiative. It helps Sky Blue. But, B, that's prob- that was probably the best thing they had going for them was that pitch. Though I understand it took a bit of a step backward, but, th- you know, it's never been like a complaint you know, about the pitch. Well, that was the thing too, with even with Amanda Duffy at the draft, you know, kind of vaguely saying improvements were made. And I followed up and I said, can you name one specific improvement? And she said, no, you know, not at this time. And again, why are you not ready to answer that question? Um, Because again, if improvements have been made, then you want to make that public You want to make that, uh, you know, as widespread as you can, as fast as you can to counter that perception. And they either don't care or they don't think it's a problem. I don't see how either one can be possible. I really don't. You know, on the the same line, and this goes to uh, something that Chelsea posted on the site about female coaches, is that Amanda Duffy, for the first time, hinted that there was some sort of legislation in place where you have to talk to some kind of diversity and coaching candidates. Yes. But then she wouldn't expand on what those things were. So it's almost like, why have it? If you're a, not going to tell us what it is and B it's not going to work. Yeah. You know, and that was a real, again, that was something that they were open to criticism on in the past. Um, I remember the, the old, general manager of Chicago, Elise LaHue, was constantly, you know, um, speaking out about that, that they didn't have a, a Rooney rule. Um, and now that they have one, why are, why why not share that? Why not tell people as soon as the, the owners or the board or whoever approved that did it, why are you not making that public and, and telling people about it? Because again, and I, I know you followed up too, and you had asked, I think, if, if anybody had been in violation, um, you know, we don't know what the requirements are. Is that that you're interviewing a person of color? Is that you're, you're interviewing a woman? Is that, you know, we don't know. And it would be one thing if all of a sudden there were seven out of nine coaches were women when he can say, you know, we put this initiative in two years ago and it's really paid off. And then maybe you wouldn't have to go into as much detail. But it, it clearly, it isn't working, at least in terms of the short term and getting more women or more minorities in head coaching ranks because didn't happen this year at all well and that was with chelsea's interview with lisa too right that she i don't know if she explicitly said it felt like a i don't want a courtesy interview yes because it wasn't the words she used yeah it wasn't with the current owner right yeah it was with a hummer and um bill lynch and lynch and she said neither one of them were the one making the final decision right now i mean and, we, and we've heard also in, you know, in the NFL with the Rooney rule that 
minority coaches won't want to go on interviews because they'll know that that particular team has their eye on a different coach and they're just doing it to fulfill the requirement. So a little bit of it goes both ways. But I think the underlying thought here is if you have these things in place, why not tell us? And if Sky Blue has improvements in place, then why not tell us? And they, you know, their main goal right now should be selling season tickets. I don't know how that's going. But when the schedule comes out so late, it's hard to start selling individual tickets. So got to be pushing season ticket packages. And what are you really selling at Sky Blue right now? You have a place with bleachers that's in the middle of nowhere for a team that won one game last season. And their best player, Carly Lloyd, is going to play three games until July. So what are you really selling? Yep. Um, yeah. Uh, on that note, let's, uh, <laughs> let's put an end to segment two. We've got one more to go. We'll see if we have any questions in the hashtag EQZ pod hopper. And uh, we'll talk about other various and assorted things around the world of women's soccer. Dan, Chelsea, and John on the Equalizer podcast. Third and final segment of the Equalizer podcast. Second out of four in February. I'm Dan Lawletta with Chelsea Bush and John D. Halloran. Uh, Claire Watkins not with us today, either in uh, front of the mic or behind the scenes. So hoping against hope that we get the production uh, correct. She's going to chip in at the end, but hopefully we got this recording thing down pat. Not too many questions uh, came at us this week, um, kind of emblematic of where we are on the Woso calendar, I guess. But Deagley got a little bit carried away, so we've got a bunch. So let's get to them. Which team ends up with the biggest name international from a World Cup qualifying team? I feel like this question is one I wish had a better answer because I don't know if anybody gets a gets a big player out of the World Cup. But I mean, the obvious answers are Portland, or Orlando, and maybe North Carolina, the teams that are willing to get in there and, and uh, spend money and attract players. But uh, I don't know that really there's an answer to this one. I think that's one to keep an eye on. Maybe see who has a good tournament and shows up for the last last part of the season. I think you could see someone who has a really good World Cup. You know, inevitably, unfortunately, there's going to be injuries, player fatigue, whatever. So I think you could see some players added after the World Cup. I think, and I think Portland's number one on that list. They're number one on every list. Well, yes, when true. When it comes to this stuff, is there anybody we know is out of contract? Any big European names out of contract that we know of? Because I don't know anything about. I can't. I don't. That's, there. They're they're structured so differently, um, with like the transfer fees, and I don't know off the top of my head because I mean everyone, you have to play somewhere, right? You, you don't just float around, so. I don't know any off the top yeah, of my head. Unless you're I, Steph LeBay. Wasn't she like unaffiliated when she got called in as Canada's third keeper for like three years? Yeah, she's it had an like, interesting career. It was like McLeod she, and LeBlanc and then LeBay, you know, unaffiliated. You were not yeah. done with what you were saying about her. No, yeah, she just, again, she's had, like, she's had an interesting career and she does kind of, 
not always have a place to play, it seems like, for whatever reason. Do we find it? Go ahead. I was going to say, there's some Australians. There's a couple of Australians, too, who who don't play in the NWSL. Matildas, who just play in the W League, so they tend to kind of be unaffiliated, quote-unquote, during what we consider the season. Do we think it's weird, we talked about this a little last week, that LeBay is going to basically be in Sabrina D'Angelo's position of maybe never playing for the Courage? It, it, yeah, I, it doesn't make sense to me for either side. For, for LeBay, unless she just really, really thinks she's going to knock Caitlin Rowan out, or she just really wants a place to train and, and she wants to be in the, in the U.S., maybe she wants to be close to home, it doesn't make sense to me. She, she looked, to me, it seems like she's going back in exactly the same situation that she didn't like in Washington, where she's, she's on the bench. And and Caitlin Rowland has played really well for for uh, for North Carolina, so I'm sure that it'll be you know an open competition. But why why would Riley bench her? Um, for I think LeBay's probably a better keeper than than Rowland, but not so significantly that he's going to trade what he knows for what he technically is kind of an unknown to him. And I'd rather have Rowland every game than LeBay for a few games. If that makes any sense. Like, I don't think the yeah. difference is big enough that I'd put LeBay in, like, whenever she's there. I'd rather have the consistency of Roland, who knows the team, won you a title. Yeah, I think if, if any team is, is going to have deliberate keeper rotation, it's probably North Carolina, which is ironic considering how let, little they rotate their field players. Um, but, yeah, so let's say Roland grabs a starting job you're still going to have to go out and find another backup keeper for when LeBay is gone. And, and if I'm, I, I think Seth LeBay is probably the number one keeper for Canada, but I don't say it's necessarily on lock. So for her, I would want to go somewhere where I know I'm going to be playing week in and week out. But it also, nail it, that down. is it better to train with the courage under Paul Riley, or is it better to play for a second-level team in Europe? By second-level, I don't mean second division, but below the top tier teams and you're getting kind of ordinary games? I mean, that's a good question, but isn't the thing always for keepers that they need actual game time? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And one difference, by the way, in the Washington situation, I don't think she was as upset that she didn't play, but that she was kind of never told she wasn't playing and wasn't given that opportunity. Yeah, it, like, like it's different most, signing on to be a backup or get into competition with somebody. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think from her most recent interview, she certainly indicated that there were other things going on behind the scenes that made her un, unhappy at Washington. It just wasn't a good place for her, a, a good locker room for her. All right, sticking with Deagley and back to Sky Blue. Odds on them starting the season without significant change, escaping scandal of any kind in 19, operating in their current setup owner GM location in 20, I think, and then I'll throw it to John. I think starting the season without significant change, odds are pretty high. Escaping scandal of any kind in 19. Uh, I don't like the word scandal. I don't know that anything they've done is scandalous, but I think that uh, unless they figure out their PR setup, they're going to take some more hits. And I'm going to say zero for operating in their current setup in 2020, but I might have said that eight months ago about 2019. It looks like they're full steam ahead. John, what do you think? I think it's probably about 80% that th- there's nothing announced before the season gets started, which seems utterly insane to me. But based on everything we've seen, I can't, again, I cannot make 
sense of, of how they've kind of handled this or haven't handled it. Um, as far as a, a scandal in, in 2019, I, again, unless there's something else, I, I don't know what else there could be at this point. Um, because what we reported out last year, at, at least as, as much as I can believe is about as bad as, as it could get uh, in in the NWSL. Chelsea. Yeah, I don't really have anything to add to that. I don't I think things are just going to operate pretty much as usual for Sky Blue for the the foreseeable future. Preseason by the way. This pod drops on a Monday, 3 weeks from today. Preseason begins. So, if you're going to get these announcements going, you better get them up and running pretty quickly. Um, also, I'd like to note that the expanded rosters and the extra spots mean that it's going to be harder for teams to get the quote-unquote leftover players, undrafted free agents, and whatnot to come and train with your team. It's going to be going to have to go a lot deeper into the pool this year for that. So we'll see how that affects teams like Sky Blue. Which player benefits most and carries over form from W League? Chelsea, you hit this a little bit last week. So, John... Anybody that you've seen, I don't know how, if you watch every week, but it, who have you seen over there that might make a big impact? I would like to see, or I'm interested to see what Rachel Hill does this year. Um, some of that's, I think, going to depend on if Orlando gets gets their act together. Um, but I, I, I'm curious to see how she does. Um, I thought last night in the Sydney game that Colaprico was the MVP of that match. Um so obviously, you know, she's kind of on a fringe national team player right now. So I'm not sure if, if she'll make the World Cup team. I still think it's probably a long shot. I think, uh, she, you know, I, I would expect her to carry that form into the season. Um, again, I, I like Savannah McCaskill. I think she's a good player. Obviously, her club situation is not ideal. So I'm not sure what she can do uh, with them. But, uh, you know, in the right environment, uh, which it looks like she's in at Sydney. She's a quality player. Um, and then Haley Rasso, I thought, uh, has had a really positive story because, you know, we remember that back injury that she had at the end of the NWSL season and she's back. I thought she played pretty well, um, was giving, um, Sydney problems. So I think it's going to be interesting to see what, what she does this year as well. It's interesting. You mentioned Cola Prigo, and McCaskill, because it, I think Colaprico could benefit a lot from significant time without Julie Ertz, and I think McCaskill could benefit from a lot of time without Carly Lloyd for very different reasons. But I think they could both thrive not being at the World Cup and without those other two players. So those are real interesting. And I think with Hill, and I mentioned this last week, LaRue's pregnant, so she's right. out for a considerable future. So that means Hill should be a starter on that team now as presently constructed, whereas last year she was kind of dodging for playing time. I think Hill can do things that other players can't, which makes her a special player. Um, I think the key is whether she takes that opportunity that you mentioned and can she take that next half step forward? Because I, I believe that Kieran um, had said that you guys had had a discussion a few weeks ago on the pod about some players that were just off the U.S. radar. And I think he retroactively had come back and, and commented on Twitter that Hill is kind of in that category that's just off the pace. And 
she could be there. She's got talent. Um, and, you know, she's still a pretty young player. I think she's only two years into her professional career. Um, so that, that could be, that could be a player to watch. And as I recall, she had a big season in Australia last year and it's sort of translated, but not really, but I think it's a good sign that she went back to Australia and proved that at least that wasn't a fluke. So, you know, she's at least at the Australia good level two years in a row. Now she's just got to bring it over here. And I thought, uh, by the way, Katie Naughton did a nice job on Tasha Dowie last night. So. I'm a big Katie Naughton fan. I think she's really good. She could, she could be a a really, well, she is going to be a really important player for Chicago with, with Ertz and Davidson off at the world cup. I think if we have the uncapped U S all-star team, I think Naughton and uh, Menges are your starting center backs. And I don't think there's anybody else close right now. All right. Last one from Deagley. And I like this question a lot. Does anyone really know what influence A&E shares have over the league? And has it been for the good so far? Have at it. Jump in, anybody. I don't really know what influence <laughs> they have. Okay. Um, I, I like that they brought in. I like what, what you know we say A&E, but what Lifetime has done with the broadcasts. I think that Bringing in Jen and Allie was great. I think the broadcast quality is really good. I love the features that they do um, on a player every week. Beyond that, I have no idea. They they have a two time ownership. That's correct. I believe so. Yeah. And um, two uh, two votes, two board right, votes. Right. And salaries doubled the year they entered the league. So just from that. Aspect, oh yeah, yeah. Huge positive. Now there are some changes in the coming. Uh, from the, at A&E, from the people who work closely with the league. So that can always go either way. And remember, the actual broadcast agreement expires after 2019. Obviously, ownership stakes don't expire, but there could be options built in. I think short-term, it was good. I'm, I'm curious, I'm, I'm, and I've always been curious, where does it leave the league after this third season? Like, does it leave the league holding a bag with a lot of, you know, money owed that, you know, then A&E pulls out and the league can't manage to foot that bill. Do they double down and, you know, grow with the league? I think that's fairly unclear right now. They yeah. did get ESPN to pick up the last, was it six games of last season? Yeah, I don't think, I don't think it was the last six per se, but yeah, the, in that group, yeah, there were some ESPN games, which I thought was great. And, you know, that's not as, you know, everyone's like, oh, well, ESPN's under the same banner as, as lifetime, so that should be easy to, but that doesn't work that way. So that, I think that was a pretty big deal. Yeah. Um, and they put them on ESPN News, which was good because it meant that uh, nothing was going to interfere with those <laughs> games. Because that's the yeah. biggest problem. Is the, the best part about Lifetime is you know at four o'clock that game's kicking off. As long yes. as the game's happening, it's going to be on. There's nothing else going to overrun it. Yeah, of course. The bad side of that is that not everyone who has ESPN has ESPN News. It's not yeah, quite as true. easy to access. Correct, correct. Yeah, you can't. You can't. It's very, it's very hard to please everybody. And uh, you know, I've long agreed with your point, Chelsea, that when you're watching the games on Lifetime, you're watching soccer. There's nothing else. You know, they do the features, which delve into personal lives, and that's great. But when you're watching the game, you're watching soccer. They're talking about soccer. They talk about the rest of the league. And that's what I want to see in my sports coverage, no matter what sport it is, no matter who's playing it. And I think this is the first time really where it's been consistent and you've had people on the microphone 
that you can tell are invested in the actual soccer league, and that's been great. Any closing thoughts as we head toward, uh, I guess, what's coming up to President's Day weekend? And again, three weeks until the start of preseason. Any closing thoughts? Not from here. Not everybody at once. Please take <laughs> one, one at a time. Dan, give us your, your wildest prediction for 2019. Ooh, NWSL. My yes. wildest prediction no, is no, that... No, Okay, one is that France won't win their group and won't play the U.S. in that quarterfinal. My wildest Whoa. NWSL prediction for 2019. That is, a, I, I feel like the I, I feel like things are kind of, you know, going on a boring track where the teams are, are kind of the same. How, how about the, how about North Carolina is under 500 after four games? That is completely wild because it's, yeah, yeah, that's wild. You win. Never gonna well, happen. I, it's gotta happen for me to win. Oh, okay. what, what's then yours? Never, um, I think Orlando is actually gonna be good. Not great, but but good. I, I think there's enough there. I hear good things about this coach. That's my wild prediction. John, Just considering gotta, how they finished last year, could be pretty wild. John, any wild predictions? Uh, if if I had to make one, I'd say Houston makes the playoffs. Oh, okay. that is wild. All right. Well, this podcast quickly um, turned into one that we're going to have to archive so we can go back and, <laughs> and, and cite these. And uh, you mine asked. goes first. You, you asked. asked. You asked. You asked for any last thoughts. I, I thought you wanted something. so and, I, I. And you turned it around on me. That's what I do best. It wasn't very nice. You're welcome. <laughs> I think it's time to say goodbye for today. For John D. Halloran and Chelsea Bush, my name is Dan Lawletta. You've been listening to the Equalizer Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Equalizer Podcast. The views and opinions expressed are those of the hosts and do not necessarily represent those of Equalizer Soccer. We thank you for listening and hope to see you next time.